Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, so last week we made a declaration and we said, God is good. God is good. There's nothing evil, wicked, mean, divisive, or harmful about him. And the question that probably popped up into many of your heads over the week is, what about the Old Testament, right? It's this big white elephant in the room of things happening, of God punishing people and people dying, it seems, at the hand of the Lord. And that's a very good question, right? How is God punishing and cursing? How is God causing people to die? If God does all of these things in the Old Testament, how can God still be good? So this morning I say thank you for asking that question. We're going to address it head on. I love that we did communion today because it celebrates the new covenant. What we're going to look at today is the old covenant and the different covenants that were produced by God with people throughout the Old Testament. So this is going to be more like a lesson than a sermon. Today there will be notes up there. We have notepads in the front of your pews if you want to record some of these things. But the communion that we celebrated, that is uh, that was the declaration of a new covenant. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says this, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. Many translations say that God is not willing that any should perish. So we see even here in the New Testament, this is about the new covenant. And God's saying, listen, I'm not, being, I'm, not, I'm not being hasty and coming back. I'm being patient. Jesus is not returning here in patience that everyone would come to know the Lord as Savior. Now, do people die every day without knowing God, without knowing Jesus as Savior? Unfortunately, yes. So we now know that things actually happen on this earth that are not according to God's will because God's word says that it's God's will that none should perish. He actually wants every single person to bow their knee to Jesus and come to him in this new covenant. So he's being patient for us. But what we're going to do is transition and look at the Old Testament, the covenants that were formed in the Old Testament, and try to evaluate how God was operating with people during that time. If you look at four main purposes of the Old Testament, you need to be able to see through certain lenses. You're not going to understand the flow of the Bible. The Old Testament was not just about describing how the tabernacle was set up and all the feasts and all of the roles. It served a greater purpose. This first main purpose was to reveal the severity of man's sin. Sin is real. It is deadly. I don't care what covenant you are in. Sin will destroy your life. You could say grace, 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 grace. But if you keep on sinning, 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 then you keep on declaring you're not really my Lord because I don't trust you to act the right way. So in that, sin will still, you still have consequences. For sin. We teach our kids about grace and forgiveness and his mercies are new every morning. But I also said one day, God doesn't save stupid. When we act, when we act in a stupid way, he can't just come down and sweep us up when we're acting in our own flesh. You following me? So the Old Testament is revealing the severity of our sin. Secondly, it exposes our absolute hopeless condition to save itself. Man and woman tried and tried to follow all of these rules, and they absolutely could not do it. They could not save themselves. So the third purpose is this. It shows us a need for our Savior, right? Sin is messing my life up. I can't save myself. I need a Savior. So when we look at the Old Testament, this fourth purpose is this. 
Everything is pointing to Jesus. Everything's in point, pointing to the impossibility of doing this relationship with God on our own. We need someone else. We need Jesus. We don't need all the rules and the regulations. We don't need all the feasts. We don't need all the tents and the tabernacles. We don't need a private room to go into. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. So when you come into conflict head to head, when you're looking at the Old Testament, you're like, I don't understand this. Why is this working this way? Why are there so many things? It's pointing to Jesus. All of the elements in the tabernacle, all of the rules, regulations, all of these things are symbols, shadows, foretastes of what our Savior would offer us as a free gift of grace. And understanding these things will help put into context the goodness of God. So we talk about covenants. I want to clear this up uh, first. Can you say the word testament? And then say covenant. We use those words and I don't want you to be confused. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. That word testament means a collection of books. So the Old Testament is Genesis through Malachi. The New Testament is Matthew through Revelation. You'll hear people saying in the New Covenant and in the Old Covenant. New and old doesn't just mean those collections of books when they're using the word covenant. That word covenant means treaty, agreement, a solemn, uh, 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 what does it say? A solemn promise. So that's an actual relationship that people are coming into with each other or with God in the Old Testament and in the New. When we say the word Old Covenant versus New Covenant, they're usually talking about the Old Covenant being the covenant between God and Moses. And then the new covenant talking about Jesus's blood being shed and our relationship with God because of that. What we're going to do is look at the Old Testament, that collection of books. And inside that collection of books are several different covenants or relationships that God had with people. This is what we're going to look at today. What I want to share with you, you can write these down uh, in just a few minutes here. We're going to talk about three different covenants that people had with each other or nations had with each other in the Near East. The Near East is simply a geographical location from where the Bible was written. These three different types of covenants that I'm, gonna, I'm going to talk about, these words are not in the Bible. They didn't have to explain them in the Bible because this was a part of their life. So I'm not talking about something that's anti-biblical. I'm sharing with you things that were from culture that we don't know because it's not explained right before us. But once we know what types of agreements, solemn promises people came into with one another, it helps clear up some confusion about God and his people. I like David, Grant, Dana, and Whitney. You guys can come up and just stand right here at this time. What I want to do is talk about how covenants are formed, first of all, okay? So we have two sides of a covenant. So Dana, you can be one. You can, Whitney, you could be one. Why don't you two ladies just stand up here? Dave, just hold that. Okay. When people or when nations came into this solemn promise, this agreement, this treaty, what they would do is write two copies of a covenant. You can show them that word. Good job. So now we have a covenant written. There are two copies because each of them would hold onto that copy for reasons that we'll talk about together in just a minute. So what they would do is they would say, listen, we don't want to go to war against one another anymore. We don't want to, uh, we don't, we, we want to be able to defend one another and actually fight battles as if we were that same nation. So also individuals would do it as well, but usually it was through nations. So they would come together, they would write two copies of that covenant together. Okay. 
Now, what would happen here in this covenant are all of the details of what had to happen, good and bad, if they broke the covenant. So it's all of these lists. Okay, you're going to defend my country. You're not going to be loyal to any other nations. Like It's like all these lists of all the details of what it means to keep that contract. Also included in that covenant are all of the blessings and all of the curses that come if they break that covenant with one another. So how do the blessings and the cursings come? Thank you for asking that as well. Why don't you come up here? Why don't you come up here, Dave? These individuals are not necessarily God-fearing people, right? All throughout the ancient Near East, they're not all following our God. So they have false gods. God, you can flip those over. This false God would be responsible. The belief was if Whitney would break her side of the covenant, this false God would actually pour out curses that were written in that document upon the life of that nation. If and when Whitney keeps her side of the covenant, it was believed that this false God would pour out the blessings upon them. Now, obviously, they're opening the door to the demonic, so it's not, not operating exactly how they think. But do you, are you seeing how, what they believe? Okay? So Grant, the false God over here, would pour out blessings upon Dana's nation as she kept the covenant. And the belief was if she messes up, she's actually inviting in the curses of her false God to be poured out upon them. So this is how this would actually operate in the Old Testament. So what would happen is, here ladies, you can separate just for a minute. What would happen is they would bring animals and they would cut them in half. And they would spread one half of animals on this side one half of the animals on this side, Whitney, you can come over here. You two ladies can face this way. And you can walk through the animals. Good job. What the belief was when they walked through this is if I, if I break this covenant, may it happen to me what happened to these animals. So they're saying, if I break this covenant, I call upon myself from this God that I think is real all of the curses that are written in that covenant. Now I want to explain to you the different types of covenants. You can step forward in the middle here, ladies. I hope I'm not confusing you too much. Oh, another interesting fact is this. When they were done with this ceremony, they would take these covenants and they would put them in a box. You know what this box was called? An ark. It was an ark of the covenant. We hear ark of the covenant in the, in the Old Testament. We think, oh, this is God's idea. Like this is, this is all the, the spirit, like the, the God side of things. Listen, this was happening in false religions all over the world in this area. So they would put their covenants in the Ark of the Covenant. They would take them to their temples and they would be read every so often as a reminder to their false gods of what their job was in enforcing this covenant. Pretty crazy, huh? Okay, here goes the three types of covenants. These will not be found in your Bible. You can research them in just general history of how covenants were. And then I'll tell you guys where to move as we do. There was a grant covenant. A grant covenant was that there was a greater party and a lesser party coming into agreement. The greater party actually takes on all the obligations. So Whitney, why don't you come up here to the second step here. And then you can stay right there. So in a grant covenant, Whitney is the greater party. She would be the greater king in this nation, okay, between the two nations. In a grant covenant, she's responsible for being nice to this nation. She's responsible for holding all of the obligations in the agreement. Dana does not have to do a thing to keep this. What happens is this. As Whitney fulfills her obligation to Dana, this false god, 
or in our case, the real God, would pour out blessings upon Whitney. And then this false God, Dana just gets all the free blessings. She doesn't have to do a thing in a grand covenant. So this God would be believed to just pour out the blessings because of her obligation. The next one is a vassal covenant. There's a greater and there's a lesser in agreement here. But guess what? It switches this time. In a vassal covenant, she sets the roles and she has the obligation of following it. So in this covenant are all the things that now the lesser nation has to follow. Guess what happens if the lesser nation breaks the covenant? They open their hearts up to their false God to receive all of the curses. If she keeps the rules of that covenant, then she gets the blessing from their God. Why don't you come up here to the second step? Dana, please, thank you. The last one is a kinship covenant. A kinship covenant are where two equal parties come together. They both have obligations to serve. When they keep their side, they get blessed by their God. When they break their side, they get cursed by their God. Now we're going to take a look at the Bible. You're going to be a real God the next time you come up. You're going to be our real God the next time you come up. You guys can sit down, but stay close. Thank you so much. Give them a round of applause for now. Just shake your head. You guys all right. I don't want to get too heady, but when I learned about this, it blew my, my, my eyes wide open of how God wanted to serve with us. So if we are to say God is good, then he has to be good throughout the entire scripture, right? There's two scriptures, Malachi 3, 6, it's the Old Testament. It says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That's quite clear. New Testament, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ. Old Testament was talking about God the Father. This is talking about God the Son. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we are to say the statement, God is good, then we have to say God was good, God is good, and God will forever be good without any conflict of interest. So let's take a look at the covenants. The first covenant was between God and Noah. This was a Noahic covenant between God and Noah. If you want to turn to your Bibles, Genesis chapter 9. Now, this specific one was a grant covenant. If you, if you have already forgotten what a grant covenant is, it's when the greater and the lesser parties come together and the greater is responsible for all of the obligations of keeping the covenant. And now that person, as they keep it, the God pours out the blessings. In Genesis chapter 9, starting at verse 8, it says, God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Listen to what the, the rules are of this covenant. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all the living creatures for all generations to come. And then he gives them a sign to this covenant. I am placing my rainbow in the clouds. It's a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. So this rainbow in the sky was a reminder of the covenant that God came into with Noah and his family. The reason why it's a grant covenant is because people could not do a thing to keep their side of the bargain, right? People couldn't force the, force the rain to stop coming down. They couldn't force the rainbow in the sky. They continued to live, and God kept his side of the covenant. This is where you need to start seeing something. I'll take David and Grant and Whitney. You can come on up here. 
So we have a grant covenant. So Whitney, you stay on the floor. Grant, you come to the second step. And then David, you can come up here, please. So what changes is now this. This is not between nation and nation. You can show that you're really God now. This is not between nation and nation. This is between person or family and God. But God serves two roles in this covenant. He's the partner. He's the covenant partner, but he's also the covenant enforcer. Good thing God can be in two places at one time, right? This is where this will challenge your theology. Do you think he's omnipresent? Yes, he is. So God is the greater of this agreement between him and Noah. He has the obligation of holding this covenant to be true with Noah and his family. You don't look like Noah. You represent Noah's family. So God is in partnership with Noah and his family, but God is also the enforcer. So as God keeps his part with Noah, it's not the partner side of him that pours out the blessings. It's the God side. She believes in the true God who's pouring out the blessings because God is keeping the covenant. We'll get there. So you guys can sit down for a little bit. I want to move to the next one here. Just keep in mind, the first covenant in the Bible between man and God, God wanted to keep all sides. He wanted all the obligation on him, and he wanted to pour out blessing. He wanted to pour out goodness. He wanted to pour out his protection and his provision. The next one is between God and Abram at the time when he turns into Abraham. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. This is good news. This is also a grant covenant. I won't bring them back up here, but God would still be the greater party. Now, Abram is the lesser party. God's the covenant partner, but he's also the covenant enforcer. So watch what happens here. In Genesis chapter 12, if you want to flip to Genesis chapter 12, I'm just going to read a few of these verses. Starting at verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. I will, in verse, uh, in, in, in Genesis 17, 7, I'm just going to read a verse there. It says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Now picture this, where Whitney just was. Here's Abram looking up to his covenant partner who's saying, listen, Abraham, I'm entering in this with you. I am going to make you into a great nation. I am going to be your God from generation to generation for all of your descendants. I am going to be the one to make you famous. And Abram's looking up thinking, I really can't do anything about this. He can't make his own name famous. He can't make himself into a great nation. He can't determine if his uh, descendants follow God or not. So he's the weaker partner in this covenant. But then you see God as the covenant enforcer saying, yes, I'm actually going to make this happen. I will pour out the blessing. I will do what I said I was going to do as your covenant partner. And we see he did because God always keeps his word. Now we go to the Mosaic Covenant. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 19. The Mosaic Covenant is between God. I feel like I need to take a deep breath. Am I going too fast? Am I all right? 
been thinking about this stuff for like three years, so I'm trying to get it all out in like 40 minutes. <laughs> the Mosaic Covenant is between God and Moses and then the greater, the greater nation of Israel, the people of Israel. I want you to see something here. This is a vassal covenant. Something's changed. We're going to find out what. This is the first time in the Bible you find a vassal covenant. Uh, if you three want to come back up again, David, Grant, and Whitney. What we saw, David, you can go to the same place up here. Uh, Grant, and then David, and Whitney, you can move over right below David. There you go. Oh, I'm sorry, you can go down two, two more steps down. On the bottom. Yep, there you go. All right. What we saw between God and Noah and God and Abraham is that God's the greater partner and all the obligation is on him. And he, as he fulfills it, this is the same person. You guys know that? This is the same person, same God. Same person, same God. God pours out the blessing and blessing and blessing. What changes between God and Noah, God and Moses and Israel, is that he's still the greater and Moses is still the lesser, but now Moses and the Israelites hold the obligation. They're required to do stuff. And if they break it, they've broken the covenant between them and God. And God now pours out curses. This is where we say, God was so angry in the Old Testament. He killed people, opened up the earth. And if you start to see this, you'll start to catch that the God the covenant partner with Moses. It was never his will, his intention, or his purpose to ever pour out any punishment, curses, or death upon the people. But though because he was the covenant partner and also the covenant enforcer, he would fail to be a righteous God if he did not carry out the terms of this covenant. Like discipline is never fun for a kid. So we get to be as parents their teacher, but also the enforcer of discipline. I think so many people see God, the covenant partner, as the one opening up the earth, burning people alive, shedding out all this plants. So like, how could a person who wants to be in relationship with them do that? Him operating as a covenant partner was never God's will to do this. But he was also the God who was enforcing this covenant. We'll show you how. You guys can sit down. Let's take a look. Exodus 19. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people of the nations, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom priests, my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Look at the wording here in verse 5. If you obey me and keep my covenant. This is the first time this is showing up, folks. This is the first time God's saying, if you do this and if you do that, then you will become this. And we'll see in Deuteronomy later on, if they don't do this and they don't do that, then a whole bunch of bad stuff comes to them. Look at what God's intention was. It's for them to follow God, for them to obey God. But in this verse, it says, you will be my kingdom priests, my holy nation. I love this. In the Old Testament, it was God's will for the Israelites to come face to face with God, to be a priesthood in themselves. He never intended to have to wait for Jesus to come for us to be priests and come face to face with him in his presence. And they said, no, thank you. I need you to see this. They were invited up on the mountain to be with Moses and with God face to face. And they said, no, we are too 
afraid. Every other covenant in the Bible was grant, right? The obligation was on God. Something shifts here. In Exodus chapter 20, we see the Ten Commandments given. These are the terms of this covenant. But what I want you to do is cross-reference. If you look at at just what's happening in Exodus 20, you're not going to see this side of the story. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, it shows the same account from a slightly different angle. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting at verse 4, it says, At the mountain the Lord spoke to you. This is Moses talking to the Israelites. At the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire. I stood as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. So we see God wanting to bless and blessing Noah. We see God wanting to bless and bless Abraham. We see God wanting to bless the Israelites and saying, I've invited you to come face to face with me. I've invited you to be a holy nation of priests now, even in the Old Testament. And they said no. In Deuteronomy 5, starting at verse 24, it says, Today we have seen that God can speak to us as humans, and yet we live. But now we should not, or why should we risk death again? If the Lord our God speaks to us again, we will certainly die and be consumed by this awesome fire. Can any living thing hear the voice of the living God from the heart of the fire as we did and yet survive? In verse 27, is it? Go yourself. This is the people telling Moses, you go yourself and listen to what the Lord our God says. Then come and tell us everything he tells you and we will listen and obey. Right here, they chose the harder way. They chose roles instead of relationship. There was a shift that took place at the base of Mount Sinai that took God from wanting to be in a face-to-face relationship with them saying, God, just give us all the rules you want and we will obey. How many of you know that changes the way God has to operate with them? Okay, if you want, he loves them enough to let them have their way. You want rules? We're going to have rules now. So God's heart didn't change toward the people. Their hearts changed toward him. God doesn't just become some really angry God out of nowhere. It's his love for them that he's enforcing the covenant that they asked for. They asked for a vassal covenant. He said, the grant covenant is too hard. We think we'll die in your presence. I want you to notice something. This is the first time in the Old Testament when God's wrath shows up. He disciplined Adam and Eve. He disciplined his people on the way. It does, God's wrath does not show up until there's a vassal covenant. Until there's a people who are responsible, the obligation is on them to fulfill the covenant, and they can't do it. And then we see the wrath of God show up. It only came after the law was written. If you're in Deuteronomy and you want to turn to, to 20, uh, chapter 28, I'm not going to read a lot of them, but you'll see the terms of this covenant that they asked for. Did you ever have to do something with someone that you love that actually breaks your heart as you're doing it? And you can say, this is not my will. I never intended on this happening, but you have to leave my house. You have to leave until you get your life right. Well, you're not a loving God and you're doing this, or you're not a loving parent, this and this. No, I am a loving parent. 
And it is my will for you to be in close relationship. But you are interacting with me in such a way that now I have to act different with you. Starting at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, here we go. The Lord will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your cops will be blessed. And on and on and on. Down to verse 15. If you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and you do not obey all the commands, here we go. All these curses will come upon and overwhelm you. Your towns and your fields will be cursed. Your fruit baskets and your breadboards will be cursed. Your children and your crops will be cursed. I need you to see this. This is not God, the covenant partner, saying, I want this, I want this, I want this for you. He's saying, remember me, your partner. I actually wanted you to be face to face with me. I wanted to pour out your blessings. But because you've asked for this, now God, who has to also not just be the partner, but the enforcer, has blessings and curses to give upon the people as they obey and they don't obey. So it wasn't his short temper. He didn't just like get a, get a temper problem, right? He wasn't just like, I'm sick of this, man. I'm going to start pouring out these things on you. Absolutely not, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It was not God's will for them to receive his wrath. But God would have been unrighteous if he would not have fulfilled that covenant. See, in 2 Corinthians, it says that our hearts and our minds are veiled when we read about the old covenant. When we read all these laws and we read all these regulations, our heart and our minds are actually veiled. And I believe so many people under grace still don't see that God was good because when they're looking at this law and they're saying, why is he doing this to them if he loves them? We're not seeing that all of these rules, all of these regulations point to the need of Jesus. And when we see Jesus, then we see the heart of God all the way back in the Old Testament. His heart was blessing. His heart was freedom. His heart was grace. His heart was never to pour out in wrath. So if you look at this, before the law, God was the covenant partner promising blessings through the grant covenants. After the law, God now had to operate different as the covenant enforcer to pour out wrath. So I want you to see the heart of God to bless through relationship, but the necessity of God to punish through the law. The heart of God is to bless through relationship, but the necessity of God was to punish through the law. Take a look at this. In Exodus, you, I'm not, you don't have to turn there. You could find these verses later for time's sake. Before the law, in Exodus 15, they start grumbling after they're delivered from Egypt. They don't get any punishment. In fact, they just get reminded to follow, their vo- follow the Lord's voice and to receive healing. They're grumbling before the law and no punishment. But a healing is actually promised. In Numbers 11, after the law, they grumble before Moses right after Sinai, and they're punished by some of them getting killed with fire. Same God today, yesterday, today, and forever. When the law came in and the vassal covenant was there, completely different interaction. Before the law in Exodus 16, there was grumbling over manna. No punishment, but God actually gave them meat to eat. It was called quail. After the law in Numbers 11, they were grumbling over the manna. Same complaint. Now the law is in place. The Lord sends piles of quail three feet high where it goes rotten and actually leads to a plague that kills many. One was before a vassal covenant and the other was after. 
In Exodus 16, there was a Sabbath violation. There was a slight reprimand. In Numbers 15, after the law, a man violated the Sabbath, and it leads to him being stoned to death. Do you see how it's not good for us to just say to God, hey, just give us all the rules you want, and we can do this. No, no, we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do this. That's why we took communion. We can't, we can't do this. That was not a good decision by them. Go ahead, God. You just treat us as the enforcer. I'm going to share two more quickly. The next covenant in the Old Testament that we're going to talk about is the Davidic covenant. It's between God and David. It's found in 2 Samuel. It's, it's a lot broader than this, but in 2 Samuel, starting at verse 8 through 16, guess what happens? God's heart to pour out blessings shows up again and God enters into one more grant covenant with people. So we see Noah, grant covenant. He's responsible, pour out the blessings. Abraham, grant covenant. God's responsible, pour out the blessings. Now David, grant covenant. He's responsible, pour out the blessings. The only thing we see in the Old Testament when he is required to curse someone is because they would not come face to face with him. They asked for what they got. So God speaks to Nathan, who's a prophet, in a dream. And he says, go to my servant David. This is 2 Samuel 7, verse 8. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army has declared. This is to David. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. Down at the second half of verse 11. The Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. Down in verse 14, I will be his father, he will be my son. Listen to this. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. Come on. This is God saying, you can mess this up and I'll correct you as I need to, but I'm not pouring out curses on you. My job, my obligation, my will, my desire is to bless you so that your kingdom will last forever. And it's through the lineage of David that we now have Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Does David have one thing to do to fulfill this obligation? He can't fulfill any of it by himself. He can't make his name great. He can't make his lineage go on. But God guaranteed it because it was a part of a grant covenant. So he's saying, listen, your house is going to be a dynasty. Your kingdom, your throne will last forever. Now, when David and Solomon, his son, sins, they were still corrected, right? They were still corrected as they should be because God is a holy and just God. And when we mess up, we'll pay the price. I don't believe that God has to pour out his punishment upon us when we mess up anyway. We'll do it ourselves. We'll mess our life up good enough on our own. We can't picture, we cannot picture God with blessing in one hand and it's just this whip in the other. Like you're not gonna follow a God that, that, that you feel is like schizophrenic, right? Here, let me bless you. <laughs> no. You have to understand God is coming into covenant with them, and the one person, Moses, and his nation wanted to have that obligation on them, they'll follow it. I want you to understand, even in Moses' day with the Israelites, God as a partner 
his covenant partner, do you know he still fulfilled his role as a partner? Because when the enemies came at the Israelites, even though they were messing up and turning away from him, how many of you know that God still protected them? God completely annihilated Israel's enemies. So God fulfilled his role, his side of the covenant being the greater partner. He fulfilled it with them. He's saying, I'm not going to fail you. I'm here for you. I want to protect you. I'm going to go before you and wipe out the sin that stands before you. And yet as they failed, God was still required to enforce because he's a righteous God. I think it's good, yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't see vassal or grant. And in fact, if you, even if you research stuff, uh, this, the kinship covenant, I think some, some theologians call it a parody covenant. So you'll see different words. We'd say, why, why didn't God just explain this in the Bible? Well, the Bible, like, yes, it's applicable to us. And yes, it was written for all generations. But Moses wasn't talking to people in Houston, PA. Moses was talking to people who came out of false God covenants. Thank you. Out of relationships with other nations who weren't godly. Like, they know this stuff. It's like if we wrote a book on how to do church, we wouldn't say, make sure you stop at the red lights on the way in. We know about red lights. Go when it turns green, slow down at yellow, or speed up really fast to get through the red, whatever you guys do. But we wouldn't write some of those things in a manual on how to do church because it's a part of culture. But when you do learn about some of these things, you start saying, wait a minute, God did not want to pour out. This wasn't God's will. He doesn't take enjoyment in this. The last thing I'm going to share is the new covenant. It's in the New Testament, but the entire Old Testament was pointing to this one covenant that will last forever. Sharice read it earlier. It's in a couple different places. But this is in Luke 22, 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine. This is Jesus saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. So now there's a brand new covenant that's coming into play. And it's between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. I want to show you something. If um, we'll have Dana and Grant and David come on back up. No more false gods. Okay. What I want you to see here is this. Um, David, if you come up here, you guys can each come to the second step here. What I want you to see is this is the, the first opportunity that we actually see as a kinship covenant where God doesn't have to say, God could say, listen, you're the lesser party for sure. But God actually calls us into a kinship covenant, which is equal parties, both responsible for their side. Now, God, the enforcer, is going to enforce things upon us with this covenant if we don't do what we're supposed to do. But there's a catch. There's a really good catch. Because Jesus said, in my, this covenant, it's because of my blood. And it's between God and his people. But the greater reality is this. It's not first between God and his people. It's actually between God and Jesus. And how many of you know Jesus is not going to break his side of the covenant? We cannot keep our side of the covenant. So God was smart enough and he sent his son to die for us, to live a sinless death, to die the perfect death. Now he comes and he actually enters into covenant with God. 
the unbreakable covenant. So now God has blessing and blessing and blessing and no more cursing. That's good. The only way that we come into covenant with God is through Jesus. Right? Why don't you, I just need four or five of you to come. Just, just come. This isn't like a salvation. Like, I'm already saved. It's good. <laughs> come on right here. Just come and stand right here. They don't have access to God, folks. None of them have access to God. But when they say yes to Jesus, they have access to God. So every single one of these ladies is now in right covenant with God through the blood of Jesus, where God's not looking for them to break the covenant. They're going to break the covenant in day one. But they're in covenant with God through Jesus. They're hidden in Christ, the Bible says. So are there still witches and warlocks and are curses still real and is all this stuff still out there? Yeah, absolutely, but God's not the one doing it. God's will from way back at Noah was grant covenant. Let me bless you, let me bless you, let me bless you. Moses said, Moses' people said, no, 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 I will not come face to face with you. You give us all the rules, we'll follow. That was a miserable failure. This cannot fail. He's not breaking the covenant. He's not breaking the covenant. So when we mess up, is there discipline and correction? Yes. He loves us enough to discipline us. Thank God for his discipline. I would be a wreck without it. But I can't break. I cannot break. I can't get in between Jesus and God. Like, I'm going to break this all up now. Absolutely not. You have faith in this one, and you come into covenant with this one. And the covenant partner is faithful. And the covenant enforcer is faithful to bless. Because God's good. You guys can sit down. Thank you so much, guys. I want to read a few verses to close today. In Galatians 3, starting at verse 13, it says, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. God's still mad at us. Again, God, God, God never took enjoyment on pouring those things out. He fulfilled his role as the covenant enforcer. It says, when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, right? That's us. We're not Israelites, we were the Gentiles. <laughs> Follow this. God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. What was Abraham? That was the grant covenant. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So not only do we enter into a kinship covenant being equal. No, we're not equal with God. Like, do you understand that part? Well, I'm not saying, please, look, well, they had people on the same step as God. No, we're not equal with God. He chose to call us up. It says that we will reign in eternity, but he is God. We are not. Please get that. Happy I remembered to say that. <laughs> so like, we were on the same step. That's not right. <laughs> he called us up through Christ, okay? He's God. We're not. But we get to enjoy being in a kinship relationship. The Bible says Jesus is our elder brother, okay? 
So we get that enjoyment, but we also get the benefit of the grant covenant, the God pouring out the blessing. So we're in relationship with God through Jesus, but it says we get the same blessing that God wanted to pour out on Abraham. That is the best deal right there. Right relationship, face-to-face with God, in His presence. And we receive the blessing of God because He's a good God. He's a good God. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.